Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... David Thomas. Folks, we've got David Thomas here again. And we had to apologize when you walked in because you... I want to clap. Can yeah, I clap? I'm going to clap. Right? I'm going to clap my leg. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding things. Um, I'm excited. Because, you know, you came in poised, ready to be the first repeat guest. And the only. And the and <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> you just set the bar a little higher. Yeah. I didn't realize the that. first I mean, and only. And look, it, do you have um, a, a breadth of knowledge? Yes. <laughs> but I also sure. want to say, and, and this, this is, it's too bad because people can't see you right now. But you, you th- with those glasses... You should be doing a podcast. Yeah, agreed. Day. And I don't agreed. even know why that makes sense, but it does. You it look, makes sense. You look like you should have a podcast. Yes. People have always said I had a face for radio, too, which has always <laughs> meant a lot to me until I knew what that meant. Um, but so you came in. You were excited. We a little bit sort of popped that balloon, which I feel bad about. But uh, you're here now and you can't leave. So that's right. the good news, is it? Yeah. Unless I'm you already know, mic'd up. So, yeah, we'll go forward. <laughs> yeah. And both Dave and I are blocking the door. <laughs> we are, both physically and emotionally. <laughs> which if you can help us unravel that, that would mean a lot. So we're thrilled you are here. I mean, this this is, you know, John and I joked, like, we kind of want to make you our um, expert in residence, which means you'll probably get to three before anybody will. So yeah. let's at least... And we'll be the only third. We'll be, yes. <laughs> we, that actually probably... I don't see a lot of people wanting to come back three times, sadly. Um, but for those who... who Not even um, just the podcast. Yeah, like, just have, friends. Have we done three? Um <laughs> But for those who listen to our first episode, Davis, which is Davis, which congratulates, I just consolidated your name into David Thomas, uh, to David's episode, it was wonderful. And we had so many people that were so encouraged and I think turned on to what you guys are doing at Daystar in your own books, too. You were saying the most listened to episode I, at some yes, point? Yes, yes. Right. Uh, definitely I by... Aggressively listened to. Yeah, agree. <laughs> yes. I would definitely say one of the most... I, I would say that aggressively. Like people, I think knew this is. I will be helped. This is not yeah. just sort of like sitting on the sidelines listening. Like this yeah, is no, we a- we really saw a lot of like activity, like a lot of comments afterward. Like people were really. Um, yeah. It was a useful episode. Yeah, there you go. You know. uh, but for the just, I'm going to give you the quick. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do your little brag sheet. But this is the condensed. So so for I think because a lot of people know you at this point, but. David graduated from the University of Tennessee School of Social Work and has been building into boys ever since. He has been vital in training the boys' staff for the last 20-plus years at Daystar as he came alongside Melissa and Sissy in growing uh, the counseling practice. Today, he directs the family counseling program, supervises the boys' staff, and leads groups. He's the author of seven books. Always amazing. Seven books. Yeah. I know. Jeez. That, I, mean, I mean, six not big, impressive. Big, big deal. Yeah, who, yeah. Yeah. That's basically 5. That's somebody just messing around. <laughs> you get to 7, that's you professional. You get to 7 yeah. and that's serious. That's, that's when they number. send you those glasses. <laughs> that is, it's like, all right. Glasses coming. You're here. Here's here's some glasses and a podcast schedule. It's like the Grammys. <laughs> they send you a Grammy, they just send you when you got seven books, they send you really cool glasses. Um, okay. He's the author of seven books, like I said, Contribute to the Raising Boys and Girls blog, which is amazing, folks, if you haven't heard that or read it. And also the podcast, which is, is it called, it's called Raising Girls and Boys. That's Raising Boys and Girls. Raising Boys and Girls. Um, and it's become a sought-after speaker on nurturing boys as he travels the country speaking during the year. Um, he's raising a daughter, twin boys, which is so fascinating, and a feisty yellow lab of his own. So we are thrilled you're here. So what we did for everybody that's listening, and I was so excited, and thank you for do, wanting to do the, sort of this way, is is we just had people send questions in because I think so many of us are curious about these things that are just really hard to get answers to, you know, and so you get stuck in that weird place where I think, one, you're like, is it worth calling somebody about something that's really just kind of a one-question thing, or you just don't even know who to go to with these kind of questions, right? So sadly, you are the pinata of these things. <laughs> your, your skill set then sort of like lends you to be that. So we asked people to send in questions, which I was overwhelmed at the amount of questions we got. It was so, and, and I want to say this really clearly, I was so encouraged that so many parents are so cognizant 
of things they don't know and what they want to be better at. Mm -hmm. That's always a good sign as opposed to like, man, we're good. (laughs) I think we got it. And Dave and I do Q&As every now and then. And it's good to see that people know like, okay, an an expert's coming in now. (laughs) Now I'm going to send in some real questions. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) What's your favorite food? That would be a common question for us. For us. And and we struggle with those. (laughs) Those are hard. Yeah. Those are hard. So what we thought we'd do, David, is we, John and I are going to start with our own questions. We're going to sort of like let those go first. And so it kind of warms. Yeah, everybody gets warm to it. And it's a safe space for everybody. Um, so I'm going to just come, I'm going to come off hot here. We're co- I'm coming in really hot. I actually asked John, I was like, <laughs> should I ask this question? So I'm going to qualify this question with a couple things. First of all, John was really genuinely encouraging about this because I thought this was going to be an off-camera question. I thought as we walked yeah. to your car, I was going to be like, hey, I just got this random question. Yeah. But, but I and really, I felt like, no, this is, this is something. I could see why you would feel that way. Yeah. But I think that people really want to know Yeah. this question. Yeah. So, so here's the question I have. And it's a serious question, but it is, it is <laughs> sort of funny in nature. What do you guys between the two of y'all, or I guess everybody at Daystar, when when you are, I'll just ask this. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer. There. I don't know how to answer this question. I can't wait. So to hear so, this. what is? Do you guys have an age where it is wise for parents to be clothed around their kids? So in other words, like you know, our our bathroom, which is in our room at the end of the house, our kids shower in. I should now. Annie is is much. She's rarely unclothed around our kids. Um, I feel like I'm always unclothed around our kids. I, I don't think about that much. I haven't thought about it much, but we have nine boy, seven girl, five boy. Um, I never think about it. They don't think about it. But I had a moment where I was like, this may be something I need to think about. Like, is this going to get weird? Or I just don't, I don't, I don't want my kids to have the image of me <laughs> naked, like burned into their brain. Because I, I think like the, the extreme would be your kids never see you naked. Right. And, and that subtly sends the message. We don't like, this is shameful. But then the other extreme that that Dave is maybe flirting with here. Yeah, is, I'm, I'm, I'm like one of the funniest times I've ever laughed in a co-write. I, I'm not kidding. I cry. I thought I was going to cry blood. I was laughing so hard. It was a friend of mine who was a girl because we were talking about this because she has kids and I was like, I just don't know, like, you know, because if if they walk, they just see me naked. And, and she told me, and I thought I literally was. I don't know that I've ever laughed this hard in a co-write. She said that when she said my dad slept naked growing up. She said, we all knew it. It was no problem. We just knew, like, just don't go in there at night or whatever if you don't want to see it. Well, she said the house, <laughs> the smoke alarm, the smoke alarm <laughs> went off one night when she was a teenager. <laughs> she said, I will never <laughs> unsee my dad running at a full sprint down the hall, <laughs> completely naked, yelling for everybody to get out of their rooms. <laughs> and I just thought, that's going to be me. Like... So all of that to say, like, what? How do you? Like, what do you do? I'm coming in hot. I'm starting us at the. Help us. (laughs) We're going off the high dive for the first question. I'm so glad you're asking because Annie said it happens with company sometimes too. Like when guests come over, and it's just which I feel like that's an easier answer. That it's not getting into Dave's head though. Yeah, it's just time to be closed with guests, with children, with co-writes. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people asking Dave, so it's good we're talking about it. Yes. You know, I would say there's not a magic age. Okay. And I know that's tricky. It'd be easier if there was. I would say a couple of rules of thumb. One would be earlier with opposite gendered kids. Yeah. So if you're a dad, oldest is a girl, I would, you know, round that up earlier where the curiosity could turn toward something that is more about discomfort. And so yeah. I would pay really close attention to that. I think also temperament is going to be an ingredient in the mix which it always is in all things but i think where some kids would be a little more naturally curious or struggling within that in different ways where other kids simply wouldn't so that's me saying in summary kind of second rule of thumb would be know your kids yeah know yourself yeah and you nailed it john when you said it's all about that balance of we want to make sure we're not communicating anything to kids about it's the body is shameful, the body's taboo, like we can't talk about things about the body because 
you all know, I think we talked even a little bit about it when I was here before. Yep. Like, I'm such an advocate of talking openly and honestly with kids at all ages. Mm-hmm. So that certainly fits within that advice and that conversation of just yeah. we create space where we can talk a lot about that. I had a parent years ago say to me that um, they were had been unclothed with their kids or, you know, the layout of the house was such that they would see them more often. And the mom said, I started noticing they were looking differently. Like there was a different kind of looking yeah, and curiosity that one. signaled her, which I thought was wonderful. That to me feels like that knowing yeah. that, you know what, I think we need to talk more, but I probably need to be clothed more as yeah, well. And so great. I would say that's maybe a, a story to hold on to as you think about rules of thumb. So if they're that. asking to paint me, is that, that's probably too far. No, but I think your kids mean they want to just cover you in paint. Oh, they're just see, like if clothes. If he so won't do clothes, can he do any substance? <laughs> just cover it. Okay. <laughs> so you know, my my girls. This was a couple of years ago. I used to sleep in just my underwear, but they would say whenever they would come into the room, they would never go over to my side of the bed. They would always go to Amy, and. uh and one day they, Livy, I think our youngest said like, I don't like going to daddy's side because he's naked. Even mm-hmm. though I wasn't naked. But, and so from that point on, I, I literally sleep like full, like sweats, socks, t-shirt. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> kidding. NFL helmet. <laughs> <laughs> they still don't come to my side of the bed, but that, that might be another issue. But, <laughs> but it was interesting though, because it's like, I don't think that that has anything to do with yeah. anything yeah. else. She's just for whatever reason... She's like, I just don't want daddy to be naked. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah. But that's good. Okay. That that's helpful. So so when you start to notice trends in them that you can tell it's not that like, hey, okay, daddy's getting out of the shower, but there's like a <laughs> it's like yes. Jonathan Winters used to do a stand up bit about it. He's like, Have you ever seen your dog just staring at you naked? <laughs> like they just and he would and t- he would just like do a dog face just staring <laughs> like they don't blink. <laughs> that's what I'm looking at. That's helpful. That's that is helpful. So I have so many questions. I feel like the the one that I'm going to start with because this is the one that literally comes up every day. Um, is, so it started uh, about a year and a half ago when we had the big tornado here in Nashville, and we had to we woke the girls up, took them downstairs. Like our closet in our room is actually kind of like the most insular place, and ever since then. Literally every single night, my oldest will ask if there's a tornado. And now it is kind of kind of morphed into other things where she goes to bed at night and she wants to know, is there a tornado? Is there, are, are we safe? Is everyone in our family going to be safe? Like not just us, but like grandma, grandpa, Mimi, papa, everybody, like cousins, are they all going to be safe? And it, so daily, I'm sort of confronted with this sort of fundamental question of like, I mean, what is the truth? The truth is, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, there's not going to be a tornado tonight, but I don't know. Like, is someone going to break into the house tonight? Probably not. But so I, my question is like, with that type of situation, when I can tell this is a genuine question, she's not just asking it for to be dramatic or for attention or whatever. How how do you deal with like you know with an eight year old versus maybe a six year old? How how much kind of truth you hmm. you hmm. tell? You know what I mean? It's a great question. Because I don't I want her to feel like she's safe, but I also don't want to give this impression that mom and dad are Superman and Wonder Woman and they've got everything. Because inevitably, that is I I want I want her to hear the truth that that is not true from me not some situation that happens where she's like oh they were lying to me you know what i mean yeah i would say first off let me ask this did i hear you correctly your firstborn is who you were talking about Mm -hmm. more in that space let me say first off that that is incredibly common with Mm -hmm. firstborn girls in particular Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. as we look at you know the fact that anxiety is considered to be a childhood epidemic in our country right now and drill down and trying to understand like what kids struggle the most you know if we look at that population 
girls are twice as likely to struggle as boys. It's not to say boys don't, but girls twice as likely, and firstborn girls in particular. Wow. And it's all the things, this is a simple explanation, it's more layered than this, but it's all the things that make them extraordinary in this world. You know, yeah. generally speaking, those are really conscientious kids, intuitive kids. They, we talk about this combination of they think deeply, feel deeply, and care deeply. Yeah. Would you say that's yeah, those absolutely. three things are all true? And so those are all three things that make you a remarkable adult in this world. Those are all three things that, generally speaking, make you an amazing student in a classroom. They're also what set the stage for some excessive worry. And so yeah. as I say anxiety, okay. that's not saying all firstborn girls are headed 120 miles an hour toward an anxiety disorder. It's just to say they bend a little more toward worry. Hmm. That, you know, conscientious, intuitive, I'm reading the room, I'm feeling and thinking and caring deeply is a part of what can set the stage for yeah. that. And can, to your question, drive extra fears throughout the day and nighttime in particular. And then if right. you have a confirmed experience, like what you're talking about, it's like the very thing I worried about then happened. Right. It wasn't just yeah. I worry a storm could come through our city. A storm came through our city. Right. So that's super common is what I'd say first. Secondly, to your question, I would say, you know, all kids, boys and girls, pre-12 are in what we call concrete thinking in terms of their cognitive development. So the world is very black and white. So we want to keep our responses as concrete, as black and white as possible. Wow. Okay. They can't work well with abstract thinking, abstract concepts, mm. which is the reality that the three of us know, because we have it, that there's likely not going to be a storm. But sometimes there are storms. Like that's that's an <laughs> right. abstract concept. Yeah. yeah. Because she's a concrete thinker, we want to stay as concrete as possible. Mm -hmm. Which means we're not going to edge into all the what ifs for two reasons. One, because that's abstract. Secondly, because anxiety and worry camp out and thrive and flourish in the what ifs. You know, that's yeah. basically what anxiety is. I'm imagining mm -hmm. all the possibilities of things that could happen again that have already happened or might haven't, haven't happened yet, but might happen in the right. future. So it's where I would stay as concrete as possible. Yeah. Yes, we did have a storm. I checked the weather and it looks great tonight. We're not going to have a storm this evening. Yeah. And I'd also move toward just anchoring her to security. And I'm here to protect you. And God is protecting you always. Like just mm. concrete, concrete, concrete. As mm. much as we can go to that space where then... Well, it could happen. You know, it looks like only 40% tonight. So it's not likely. Like, that's just strapping kids pre-12 with a lot of extra work to do that they really right. can't work with. So yeah, that yeah. certainty is needed. Even if, I could argue, a storm comes through and we didn't see that coming and the weather turned in a big way and we've got some cleanup to do the next day at this point, we could still anchor back to concrete things. When I checked the weather before we went to bed, it looked great. Wow, right. I set my alarm at 2.30 just to make sure nothing had changed because I saw a storm might come through at that uh -huh. point and didn't look like it was going to be bad. Like all those things that, again, are still in that really concrete space is where I would stay. Mm, that's good. You, you know what's helpful to me that is a huge takeaway as you say that is how important it is to remember that while that doesn't feel true to us because as parents it's easy as, you know, developed adults – that's maybe strong for me, lower D. But, you know, you, you want to be like, I'm not telling my kids, <laughs> touche, I'm not telling my kids the truth because I know the truth is, yeah, it could because it looks like there's a storm front maybe coming in early morning. But right. to say that's not how they work, that's really helpful. And I think that yeah. relieves me of a lot of like, well, I'm not being honest. Or I'm, but knowing they're in a season where this is what they need from us and that's how I need to think about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so we, we had a few people talk about this. This is something I was going to – get you to speak to also I've seen in one of my uh, kids is a really strong inner critic. And I think we had a few people uh, send in questions about this, you know, in, in sort of the truncated version of there. And I want to, everybody that's listening that gets mad at me because it's not, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best people. Okay. I'm trying to make it accessible. So I know I'm, I'm sort of changing some of these, but for the show to continue on and not to take six hours in because Apparently, you do have a quote-unquote life outside of the podcast, David, even though this is your second time here, um, you know, to keep these things moving. But, but you know, one people, one people uh, do this professionally. One person, you know, just said simply, how can I help my child with their inner critic? 
one person had one that said, um, my five-year-old tends to want to hurt himself whenever he gets in trouble, even if it's just small things. He'll, you know, hit himself or send himself to his room and start giving away his toys to his siblings. So there's that sort of iteration of it. Another uh, person said, uh, I have four kids. Uh, it's a madhouse, which she put a little smiley face. My question about my oldest boy, who's four, is tender, so kind, but gets devastated if he gets in trouble. Um, I've seen this with one of mine where uh, they, and I think this is the shift that got me concerned, and this is sort of, you know, you can speak to this a little more globally, but I had never seen one of my children start to say that they were bad. Life is bad, or this is hard, or I messed this up. But I saw a shift, and I remember the first time as parents at any and I really got sh shaken because we were kind of like, this isn't a... Um, I did this bad and I'm mad at myself or I'm sad. It was, I don't do anything right. I'm, I'm not good. I have this deficiency, um, which was really unnerving because, mm -hmm. you know, I remember having this sort of like, you know, I remember praying about it and they came outside the next morning and I had scripture and I thought this is, I don't even know what to do. I was like, this feels like the worst way. I could, Let me show you what God's and they're like, what, you know, Turn to page <laughs> yeah. nine. but it was like kind of all I felt like I knew to do. And we did have a great moment. And I think they were, you know, I was just like, look, God cares. And that's not what he says about you. And, but it's tricky because, you know, as you can see, this is, a, this is, Something that happens, I think, for a lot of people, and I know with you, with your being Enneagram One, this is a language that you speak well. Well, oh, and this yes. is something that, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I deal with this as an yes, adult. I mean, agreed. this is a, a problem that that goes on into adulthood for sure. Yeah, sort of identity yes. thing. Yes, like not like man, this was a bad day. It's like I'm bad. Yeah, there know? we go. And and you said it. That that's the shift. Can you speak to that? Like, how do we as parents care for that well? In a, in a child that has a disposition toward that. Yeah. couple of thoughts there. I would say, I think we are all vulnerable to that to some degree. Mm. And I think some people more so, some people less. Like, to your point, it's a great one. I mean, those of you listening who are Enneagram Ones, I think that voice is louder and more consistent. Mm. But I think it's true for a whole lot of people, even if you don't mm -hmm. live in that number. I would say bridging... Both of those questions, I think firstborns are a bit more vulnerable to that. Wow. In my experience, just 25 years of seeing kids all over birth order, I find that to be a little more true with firstborns. Hmm. And I think, you know, the, the thinking behind that would be, you know, think about how all the ways we joke about with our firstborns. Yeah, you were the guinea pig. We were test driving right. <laughs> all the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that we felt more uncertain. And so we, at times, just without even being aware it's happening, assign more responsibility to them. And a next sibling comes along, and I need you to bring me a diaper. Like, yeah. we just uh, assign responsibility to them that I think sets the stage for some of that as well. So I think the wisdom of the question is, let's all, kids, for our kids and as grown-ups, be thinking about how to work with an inner critic, whether it whispers or whether it screams, and whether it shows up every hour of every day or just on occasion. And I think with kids, we talk a lot about uh, balancing thinking, feeling, and doing. Mm. And, you know, in Enneagram wisdom, there's a lot written around those three centers of intelligence that I think is super helpful if you want to dive deeper into understanding that. But if we were to just work that on a really basic level, that that's true for every one of us every day, all the time. You right. know, there we all have thoughts, we all have feelings, we all have things that we could do. But I think we bend a little more toward one of those. Mm. Like some people mm -hmm. overthink a lot of things. Some people overfeel, like their feelings fly the plane ninety percent of the time. And then some people don't do a lot of thinking or feeling, and they're just all about the doing, doing, doing. Wow. And so, figuring out over the course of of life for all of us. How do we balance those three things? And so with kids, I love to break down experiences they had and try to find evidence of where those three ingredients were in the mix or were not. Like maybe you uh -huh. just got trapped in overthinking and looping thoughts and stuck and stuck and stuck and you just stayed in your head and you didn't do anything to yeah. help. Yeah. Or you were working so hard to avoid feelings, you were just thinking and doing. So we could we could jump off into all of the numbers or the stance is actually where yeah, you're yeah. more prone to more of that and less of that. One is repressed and one is dominant. But it is to say that's going on for every one of us. So I think for kids who are prone to overthinking and can go to really shameful, 
critical thoughts, mm. we want to really help them learn to play up the feeling and doing part mm. and figuring out the what to do in those moments when you feel trapped with mm. the inner critic. And so I think that's one piece of it. I would say, secondly, helping those kids learn to dissect more of those thoughts and back to the question about anxiety with kids where it camps out in that space. We teach them to um, boss back the worry is what we call it with really little kids or out with boys. Sometimes I'll call it to wrestle down the worry. And you can do that with any critical thought, like learning to do that. So you develop this sense of I have more power over that thought than it has over me. Yeah. Although at times it feels like, or I have more power over that feeling than it does. Like feelings well, are just And feelings. also I think what's really powerful about that, and this is coming from Enneagram 4 who probably feels all, all everything all the time too much, is it separates you from the feeling. Yes. Which that's not, that has to be uh, taught to me. Yes. You know what I mean? Like because for someone who is so in the feeling, I am the feeling. Yes. So even just that little analogy of like bossing back the feeling or naming the feeling yes. or something like that, that, that uh, feelings chart that we got from Daystar from you guys, we use that all the time with our Good kids. Good for you. And they go and point to the emoji of how they're feeling, which seems so simple, but it does, it just like, it's so powerful to separate yourself yes. from the feeling that, that that's right an there. emotion I'm having. That's not me. Right. I'm right. not the emotion. Right. That's a thought, a critical thought I'm having, but I'm not that critical thought. And I was thinking, David, you were asking that question, the, the second gentleman who asked you know, about his son, I've found over the years that I think boys do a lot of swinging between blame and shame. Like it's a mm -hmm. super familiar swing. And so it's either somebody else's thought, blame, or mm. I'm a total, I'm an idiot. I'm the worst person, shame. You know, I think they yeah. just can go back and forth in that space, struggling to get to the healthy middle space of maybe just what we said, figuring out actually that's just a critical thought or that's just a feeling at this point. What do I want to do with that? And so I wouldn't be overly concerned to the dad who's asking that question because mm. I hear a lot of it. And where I'd even bridge last thought of what we discuss about concrete thinkers, where I see kids go a lot when they're stuck in that shame part of the swing is to a place of questioning their goodness. Let's call it that, you know? And so I can't tell you often I'll have parents wow. of four five, six, seven, eight year old kids, you know, that they will have to discipline them or they've had a hard incident and then they're talking about it. And at the very end they say, do you still love me? Mm -hmm. Are we okay? You know, some mm -hmm. question that speaks to that. I'm doubting my goodness right now mm -hmm. that I think for kids who live with really strong inner critic, question that that much more johnny dave listen i'm not gonna lie to you now because i don't lie to you except when it uh serves me an advantage and i could use a cup of coffee this morning now i'm just moving a little slow i'm sorry am i am i boring you y yes but mostly no i'm just craving that <laughs> delicious methodical coffee i have at home johnny man thank goodness listen it's understandable. Yeah. I'm highly entertaining and endlessly interesting, yeah, but methodical coffee is to die for. Listen, it's a no-brainer that they were voted one of the best roasters in America by Gear, by Gear Patrol. Patrol. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Methodical coffee offers such a wide variety of flavor profiles, Dave, that range from classics, you know, that are bold oh, and chocolatey, contemporary that are medium-bodied yeah. and fruity. Yes. All the way to the avant-garde. Do it. Say it. Say it. That push conventions. I knew you were going to say that. I've recently enjoyed Methodical's avant-garde coffees, especially the Pink Lady. The Pink Lady. Love it. <laughs> Listen, once you dance with her, you never want to leave the floor. Do you know what I'm saying? It has notes of citrus, berries, and dark chocolate. Giant. No matter the blend, Dave, Methodical yeah. roasts its coffee to order, so you always receive the freshest beans possible. Oh, thank you for that, Methodical Coffee. They also offer subscriptions and unique gifts perfect for the coffee lover in your life like the methodical collection sample box which includes six ounce bags how many of them john six no three but they're six ounce bags it's a little math to do it <laughs> trying to keep your brain working of coffees that represent their three coffee categories guess them with me one contemporary that's yes two classic yep what's the third avant-garde really am i right these guys yeah guys, the holidays it. are coming up what a great gift yeah so visit www that's world wide web 
methodicalcoffee.com for more information and use the discount code DADVILLE for 10% off your first order. Do it! I'll tell you one of the things that is so helpful, uh, by the way, thank you for that wisdom. Um, one of the things that Annie and I walked away from that night with, because it, it shook us, like, child went back upstairs and we just sort of stared at each other because it was kind of like we just haven't had to deal with that yet and something I took away from it is I need to remember two things and these are very important in that moment one they are listening even when I think they're not because they can put up this strong front and like Mm -hmm. and drive you crazy and then I'll say things in that moment that I think are that I'm not giving much thought to that they are going okay great I'll stick that in there forever and you think this is right. helping push down the lion that you're seeing, but I'm just adding it to things that I'm insecure about. And two, how important it is to encourage them. Yes. And I think just to try to outweigh, that was a big moment for Annie and I both to go, we're, I don't know, because this child has a very strong personality, we see that as like, we got to sort of temper this, this so he didn't, you know, send off in the world and we're like, Gah. but what's happening is they're, we're reading the moment wrong. Mm. And I think that was to say, we need to really inundate this little thing with a lot of encouragement, even in moments where it feels like I am pouring gasoline on a confidence (laughs) fire. You know what I mean? But to realize that we are not reading those moments correctly all the time. And and I think we knew that, but that moment was such a surprise that it was like, Oh my gosh, I, I would have never thought that this little person would feel this way. You know, so it was it was a it was a good reminder. Yeah. Well, and I I think this is maybe a, a another subject altogether. But when you said the thing about you know, my kid is a confidence fire, and I'm just throwing gasoline on it. I do think that it's good to that, that's an element of parenting that's good to to remember that a lot of times like when you're like oh she's my tough kid you know she's tough yeah yeah and then you end up which is probably true it's you know. But you end up kind of like with this imbalance and then they become adults and then they have issues mm. because everyone, no one reaches out to them or no one, you know what I mean? Like they, because this person is tough or this person is confident and therefore they didn't maybe get the or encouragement from their parents because their parents were like, well, you didn't really need encouragement. You needed right. to kind of right. like, we needed right. to squelch right. that ego a little right. bit. Right, right. So it's kind of like this this tricky you just really got to keep your eye on it so yeah. that you're not, you know, when, when it seems like you're kind of bending with the waves of their behavior, you also got to go against it sometimes yeah. so that you balance, have right. a nice balance, well said. you know. Well said. And uh, not to mention, that was kind of what you, I think you just sort of spoke to. One of the questions we had in this is how do you stop others from naming your kid, mm-hmm. which I think is a great question. I, I would also add how do we be careful not to name them? You know, I think yeah. that's, I see so much damage from friends who grew up with a parent or both parents who are like that's our little mm-hmm, and he's our little mm-hmm, yeah and she's yeah. our mm-hmm. and then it's like you can quantify that and you move on but one of the things that i think i've learned maybe the most from this podcast from collective wisdom of people like you david is that we're all always changing and so we right. do so much detriment to ourselves you know somebody said a couple of weeks ago like just to pay attention to your kids mm. always pay attention to your kids because i think what happens is you name them or someone else names them. I mean, I've seen this a little bit in my life is having to really be careful about people coming in who I care deeply about. And they go, here's little Sammy. He's a fool. And I'm like, maybe right now he is. And it, you know, yeah. you sound like yeah. some crazy homeschool parent. <laughs> so be careful. It's not like, you know, helicoptering, but I think there is power in going like he is right now for sure. He is, but I don't want him to think that's who he is forever. Yes. Right. You know, I know you probably see that. Well, and it's yeah, I do, and it's part of why I'm always so grateful anytime I get to teach on development, where we can lean into all of what's happening in a certain season of a kid's life that might explain a lot That's of why really they well are said. the way they are That's in that great. moment that could just be about what's going on developmentally. I think mm. back to a mom of a 14-year-old boy I was talking with not long ago, and she was just naming some frustration she was experiencing as one can with a 14-year-old, and she made this declaration. She said, he is never going to be. And I ooh, held up ooh. the timeout. You know, so I was like, okay, timeout right there. I'm not going to let you finish the sentence for mm. this reason. Mm. Like right now that feels true. Yeah. 
we're not going to make that declaration because that won't necessarily always be true. Like yeah. he is a developing right. person. And I don't yeah. know about you, but I don't want to be defined by who I was as a 14 year old boy. Right. Like, well, and <laughs> no that, one would have thought I'd grow like, up to be a therapist at 14. Right. Right. <laughs> you could be talking with Amy and I, like my wife and I, like, like since statements like that are probably not useful no. when you're, you know, if Amy were to be like, you never, do this, yeah. you know, or you're always whatever. It's like these are kind of like uh, universally constructive things to, you know, you know, words matter. So the way you phrase yes. things really matters, especially to our kids, you know, coming yeah. from their well, and it, and it speaks to, I think, globally, and this is a longer sort of like NPT conversation, but you know, I've uh, uh, or NPR, I guess, sorry. Um, or television. It could be radio or television. But, you know, just the, the fact that I think people in general, but I would say maybe America as much as it, they, we tend to think we're static beings. Like, this is who he right. is and who she yeah, is. And yeah. this is who, even in the Enneagram, which I love, it's like, I'm at this and she's at this or I'm right. on the, you know, whatever. And I think it's such a dangerous, yes, do we have propensities to say kind of similar? Sure. But we're always changing. We're always, 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 always changing. And I think with kids, especially, you know, that can be a dangerous, that's a tricky thing. Okay, so the next thing, this, so I have a little story before I get into this. So this is one of, this was one of the funnier moments. Annie may kill me when she realizes I told this story, but I, I this feels like a bit that I could develop and or do a skit on. <laughs> we were in New York, and Ben, our oldest, who's nine, you know, sports, loves him. He loves competition. He's a little, you know, he's a, he's a boy. He loves it. So we, <laughs> I'm going to laugh. Tell the story. And he doesn't find this as funny as I do, so I gotta be careful. <laughs> but so we're at this park. Ben um, is starting to do monkey. You know, he's like they're watching American Ninja Warrior, and they just love it. It's so fun. So um, Ben gets on the monkey bars, and he can do about half of them at this park. Well, you know, and he's one that he he's very singularly focused in this season of his life. See how I did that? And. Um, and so he does it over and over. Well, Sam, our little five-year-old, jumps up and he gets about as far. And boy, does it light a fire in little Ben. Mm. I mean, he is almost raging. Like, we had never seen him get so angry, maybe about mm. anything. He's kicking trash cans and he's he's just so mad. So so we kind of deal with that and he calms down. We have to have a couple conversations with him. And, and Annie, Annie and I are walking through the city and she just starts like... Listen, <laughs> you need to start working with him. He needs to, we need to have a regiment. He should do push-ups with you. You should take him running with you. I mean, I feel like if this is something he really, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to be <laughs> like mindful in this moment. <laughs> it's like, well, baby, also could this be a moment in his little life? And he never thinks about this again. She's like, no, we need, should we buy weights? Should we join a gym? I mean, let's build a gym in the bottom of our house. Do we have any professionals we could have him in your work? I mean, I'm being facetious, but. It really just sort of escalated so quickly that I was like, wow. But it did bring an interesting thing, which is funny because someone asked this. So she, so, so there's a similarity here. Pre-teen boy question. How do we know the right amount of push without totally scarring our children? Example, 12-year-old kid wants to improve in certain sports. Here we go. Quote, uh, hey, this is a great time to do some shooting drills or hit some off tee or go for a run, right? Or whatever it is. Or we just let them figure it all out. Seems like kids have so many more responsibilities these days with school and all. Hard to know when to encourage them to do extra work and when to just let them be average and take a break. Uh, seems like some kids have extra drive and some have to be learned, taught. Uh, no one wants to be t tiger mom or dad, which I agree with. But also want to, you know, encourage self-discipline. And what is, how do you do that? And so it, it made me think about that because I think Andy does have a point. It's like there's going to be times where, our kids come to us and really do, no matter what age, go, hey, I want to get better at this thing. And you don't want to ridicule them or make them feel less of them being like, okay, this is going to be, th which I think was my response at night. It was kind of like, you know, let's, don't, let's, let's let him do this a couple more times and we'll deal with it. But she has a point too where it's like, hey, if he really wants to be able to do the monkey bars and so everybody's listening, he did do them. He came home and that became something he did. And now he can do them. And it he was spent amazing. the night in that <laughs> park that night. <laughs> the park, yes. Met some really interesting characters. Um, and Oscar the Grouch, oddly enough. But, you know, he did get it. It was fun to see him complete that. And our kids had about a month where they were obsessed with monkey bars, you know. How, how do you do that? Like, what, what sort of, and I'm sure this is one of those, like, kid to kid. But is there sort of an overarching wisdom to sort of, like, when you have a kid who's leaning into something, knowing how hard to push, how not to push? Mm. 
can I say this first? Tying back to our conversation a few minutes ago about the Enneagram and the thinking, feeling, and doing, I would challenge every parent to just camp out in that space for a little bit of time. See if you can figure out which one's which one of the three is dominant to the great story you just shared to know from our conversation about our wives' Enneagram numbers that your wife is doing dominant. Yeah. And so I'm thinking as you're telling that, like, that <laughs> makes so true. much sense. It does. And that that's what's most instinctive. Like, what do we need to do? That's so right, great. What just right. happened. That's so great. And, and I love that you shared that because I think it's a perfect illustration that every one of us would have responded differently depending on which one we moved toward. You might right. have felt more within that for an extended period of time. Yeah. John as a dad, you know, being feeling dominant. And so all of that shared to say, I think that's a great starting point to see like what stirs in us and based on our instinctive drive, where would we go with that? <laughs> I can't yeah. help but laugh because it's so true. It is. <laughs> that's the first thing she said. Yeah. Yes. And I am doing dominant as well. So everything about that makes sense. Like I'd immediately be going to a place like, what do we need to do with this? Wow, there's a lot going on and I need to formulate a plan yeah, at like, this what's point. The plan? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So pay attention to that. And, you know, to finish that thought out, how could I incorporate good, healthy thinking and feeling in that equation as well? Because I don't want to just bring doing to the equation mm. when I think about supporting my kids or working through my own stuff. So I would say secondly, you know, one of the thought I had as you were talking about his age and that story, around nine to 10, boys will begin to channel all primary emotions, fear, sadness, confusion, disappointment into one. And that is anger. And wow. I think as a culture, we support that with boys in a thousand different ways. Like we very much send strong messages that it's okay to be angry. It is not okay to be sad. It is not okay to be right. drowning in fear. And so... Right knowing that that biological process is already going on for boys in that space, it's just really easy to slide into that. And I think incorporating the thinking into that would be like, okay, there's, as you all knew, there's some fear mm -hmm. under there. You know, like my little brother might outperform me mm -hmm. in a lot of places. And right. I just may be beginning to see some of the beginnings of that. You know, yeah. there uh, could be a lot of things. And that's where, again, I think involving mm -hmm. those other two things lets us accurately assess all of, what's going on. And that's where I'd say, lastly, I always think, you know, a hundred percent of the time in moments of navigating hard things with our kids, there's always a space for support and challenge. Hmm. Wow. Both and not right. one or the other. Now, sometimes a little more support and a little less challenge may be needed or more challenge and less race through the support quicker. But I think it's both in. And, and I think, we all, out of the thinking, feeling, and doing, bend a little more toward one of the others. Like those doing dominant of us, we're great with the challenge. We'll camp out of the support real quick, but let's get to the challenge part. And right. I think you're a rock star with the support. Like no one can sit with people in pain like a four. Mm -hmm. So, John, you are an Olympic gold medalist in that space. Mm -hmm. But it might, I don't want to assume to know, but it might in some moments be a little harder to get to the challenge part. And right. so... Figuring out how do I develop both sides equally yeah. is of great importance. So, for example, with kids who are anxious, we want to sit with them. That sounds hard. Of course you're scared, those kind of things. And how can we be baby-stepping our way toward this thing that makes you right. feel really afraid? Yeah. We, one of the uh, Q&As that we did uh, months and months ago, somebody sent in this great question where they asked us, uh, if you could take your kids back to some moment in your childhood just to see it, what would it be? And and my, I mean, I instantly, without even thinking, I was like, I want to take my girls back to a moment like that, like a moment where it was really sad and and hard and all that kind of stuff. And I think, like, putting myself in your shoes, Dave, in that moment at, at the park, I would have wanted, I think, to tell my kid, like, I remember, you know, I had this situation one time where, you know, my brother did this or whatever, you know, like, I would want to relate to them. And I think ultimately I would want to say, which is, which is maybe the underlying message you're constantly as a parent wanting to say to your kids is this is not, this doesn't matter. You're awesome. Like, I love you. We all love you. This does not affect you 
as a value as a as a person you know what i mean um but you know i totally get how do you well i, I remember that was such a dilemma because it the first thing i want to do is be like you got to chill out like you, we don't right. walk around and kick garbage cans in a public park that guy right there does he's doing it we're not going to be like him <laughs> so we don't need to we do don't it. need to do it let's, let's let that gentleman who looks very upset with things that are <laughs> happening on his bluetooth um but like you know but i had to really it was an interesting exercise for me just as me i was like okay i do he needs to rein this in but i also want to i get that he's mad and then i remember as we walked i was like hey Let's talk about why you're so mad right now. And, like, mm-hmm. are you sad because Sam did it? And that's scary and makes you sad. And, you know, and of course, that's a, it's like, you know, it's such a hard conversation because he doesn't really know how to do that yet. But I was at least trying to give some thought to, but it's hard because I want to be like, hey, we don't do that, which I think I did probably fi- say that five times, but then going, okay, that's not the way to handle this. And as we walked, try to go, okay, let's both, we're both on here, son, but, you know, um, I guess one little like addendum question that for those parents who do like to this to this mom who asked this, what do you do? How do you help? I mean, obviously you have to be cognizant of what they're like to exactly what you're saying. But for those kids who really are like, hey, I want to get better at this thing. And you can really tell, wow, they want to be better at basketball. How do you, you know, for that night, if if if, you know, if, if Annie was saying, hey, what do we do? How do you do that? What is the, you know. How do you sort of put them on a way that's like, okay, well, do we develop a little curriculum for you through the summer where you maybe you run a couple times a week and you do some push-ups? Or, you know, how do you – and then how do you gauge that with each child and their sincerity for wanting to be better at basketball, soccer, ballet, dancing, whatever it is, you know? I think it would be more than great to help him formulate some really concrete goals out of that. Like, I hear you saying you want to get better. Let's think about how – that could happen yeah, and formulating, you know, a timeline and some really practical goals around that alongside helping him develop more of what was underneath that anger. Yeah, like, that's I mean, great. Both and, you know, yeah. not one or the other, yeah. but I think absolutely to chase after that with him because he's tabling that as, as yeah. something of great importance. Yeah. One of the things we do in our practice is a basic, just what we call a strengths assessment with kids mm-hmm. all the time where we'll just have them take a blank sheet of paper any parent listening could do this you know and write strengths on one side weakness on the other you could do this with kids who can't even write and have a, a conversation around this like what are things you're good at what are things you're not so good at mm-hmm. and helping anchor our kids to more and more awareness over the course of their growing up that every human being has both sides mm-hmm. there's not any person in this world who only has strengths and no weaknesses mm-hmm. there are people in this world who aren't very aware of their weaknesses and only of their strengths or vice versa i know a lot of people right. who just swimming in their deficits and not aware of their strengths. They didn't have adults who named those for them growing up. So developing both sides and then using the things I'm not as good at side as an opportunity to develop some goals with kids. Like, would you like to get better at that? Mm. What do you want to do? And I think the brainstorming around that is such a great tool for helping kids develop critical thinking and problem solving skills and so many different things becoming more resourceful. And I think that exercise in itself is harder for some kids. One of the things that we often, not always see, but often if we just introduce that exercise and then watch kids list things, more oftentimes than not, boys will start to list their strengths first and girls will start to list their weaknesses first. Wow, really? Yeah, not 100% of the time, but a high percentage of the time. And I think it speaks to, you know, the research tells us that in in the face of disappointment or failure, um, girls tend to blame themselves mm-hmm. and boys tend to blame others. And so think about that within what I just shared. You know, it's right. like if already my knee-jerk response as a, a female would be to blame myself, of course I'd go to my weaknesses first. Right. You know, of course that yes. would be more instinctive. So I think for a lot of girls it's helping them develop a full accurate list of all the amazing strengths got hardwired into them. Mm-hmm. And then I would say kind of a next thing we could do as parents with kids is help them extend that list beyond the things that they see. You know what? You are a great basketball player. You are an amazing soccer player. You're also a great big brother. Mm. You're also Mm -hmm. a really loyal friend. Like help them add to the list. And the other side as well. Like one of the things we encourage families to do, if you do this as a family, is pass the paper to the left and let every person in the family extend the list of strengths 
but siblings don't get to extend your weakness list. Parents can work with kids on that, but siblings uh-huh. don't. <laughs> they may just <laughs> oh, use an opportunity to oh, take gosh. some jabs. But put that away and pull it back out at different points on the way and help mm. kids add to that. What awareness are you building that you didn't have a year ago, six months ago? Wow. Let's extend that list. Let's use that as another jumping off point to develop some more goals. Let's assess the goals we set last time and see where we are. So there's dozens of ways I think you could use a really simple tool like yeah. that to help kids build yeah, those great. things. That reminds me of when you were on last, I think the title of the podcast was You're Not a Great Basketball Player, which was from this moment when I was, maybe, no, I was a little older than, than Ben is now, uh, where my dad told me, I remember like driving in the car, we were driving back from this basketball tryout where I <laughs> did horribly. I'm a terrible basketball player. But at the me time, too. I mean, I grew up in Indiana. Like that is like, mm. all your social capital is like, <laughs> can you hit a jump shot? <laughs> I can't now. Oh, it but it, but it was like, it was really uh, interesting. Like me as a parent thinking about naming a weakness for my kid seems to me like so uh, hurtful and destructive. But when I think in that moment about, I think my dad was saying, and it hurt when my dad said it. Don't don't get me wrong. I was mad and defensive and and. Um, but it was he was saying to me like, yeah, you're not a good bas- basketball player. Who cares? You know, it doesn't change anything. Again, back to the thing with Ben. Uh, I still am mad at my dad a little bit about that. But well, I think our our kids experience us as truth tellers and as trustworthy wow. when we help them accurately develop that side. Right. Yeah. We laughingly say, you know, it feels a little bit like the American Idol phenomena. You know, that classic scenario that happens every time that show airs of, you know, kids who are just horrible. And then their parents look shocked that they didn't get the golden yeah. ticket in your thing. <laughs> or or you, you find that one singing parent in the shower? who looks really relieved. They're like, thank you so much. <laughs> I just needed someone else. Yes. Simon, well, look, honey, I don't feel that. Simon does very strongly. <laughs> He's the monster. He's the bad guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that is a. Because they're asking that internally. They're saying, sure, I, I'm terrible at this. And I just need somebody to tell me, like, yeah, and it's okay. Yeah, my basketball career ended in as a point guard in the fifth grade for Burger Chef. Yeah, so I finished out early too. Burger Chef. I grew up in a small town. We didn't even have Burger King. (laughs) Burger Chef. Chef. That sounds like McDougal's on Coming to America. (laughs) They got the Big Mac. We got the Big Mick. Um, Another question we got we got a lot of these was was about sibling fighting and sibling sort of like how do they get along together? One was this is one that I wanted to ask. Yeah, 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 I think we all do. Um, I have two little boys, ages three and seven. So my question is, they bicker and bug each other constantly, and I feel like I'm always refereeing. How do I handle sibling fighting? That's one. Another, how do you cultivate good sibling relationships, especially with boys when they're little? Another one, how do you foster good relationships? A lot of these are sons, which I know is not John's situation, but how do you foster a good relationship between two sons who are very different? One is intellectual, reserved, and more sensitive, while the other is impulsive, physical, and full of personality. I just want them to be friends and close as adults. I mean, how do you do that? How do you foster boys, girls, whatever, as siblings, especially in kind of the younger, and, and I would assume all the years. I only know the younger years, but how do you do that? First, I would say back to our conversation about development, this feels so important as a perfect example of that. Like, don't make any long-term determinations about what you're seeing in this moment, about what their relationship wow. will look like long-term. Wow. wow. Don't. I mean, I did, my sister and I went at each other as kids, and she's one of my closest friends now. Wow. Bananas about her. And I know tons of adults who would say that was part of their right. experience. So avoid a tendency to go to those places like they're never going to be, because every parent I know wants their kids to be close and connected when they're adults and when we're gone as parents. I would say, secondly, keep in mind that part of how kids develop socially is what I call stumbling and fumbling. You know, it's like fumbling the ball. Like they develop socially through working through conflict, sometimes in messy ways Mm. where it doesn't get resolved in a neat packaged way. And I would even argue even more so, I think, for boys, like the way they go about working through conflict. Sometimes it involves a lot of growling and grunting and yelling and wrestling. And I'm not saying we should not attend to some parts and pieces of that, but 
generally speaking, it's kind of messy. And girls, their version can be, they can be really punishing and mm. passive aggressive and manipulative. And all of that being the ingredients of developing socially, learning how to work through. And yeah. generally speaking, I think kids do more of that and accelerated levels of that with their siblings because it's safe to do. They figure out, kids figure yeah. out early on, like, I do not need to be trying that stuff out on my friends. Like, they could wash their hands of me. Even right. if they can't say that, they're making connections around that. But my brother and my sister, yeah, like, they they're in it anywhere. for life. Yeah. Now, what all three of us know, because we have abstract thinking, is actually that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Adult siblings could say, I'm done having Thanksgiving with you. Right. But for concrete thinkers, they think they can't get away from me. So I would say, hold on to that. I would also simply add part B to that. Watch for where you may be doing too much refereeing, intervening, and stepping in. Not every sibling conflict needs that's intervention. That's such a good word. Right. Some and does. I feel does. like that's something that I think about a lot because someone at some point told me, like, you know, you need to let them ha have the full arc of this fight. Yes. Even if, like you're saying, even if they don't, like, resolve it and they're mad. Yes. They, they need to figure out those skills, which is, you know, hard to do. But at the same time, a lot of the times just speaking for me, I think this is a pretty universal thing though. As a parent, some of the hardest moments are in refereeing kind of moments. Yes. And sometimes I think like, well, would my day A be easier if I didn't try to get in the middle of this so often? And B, am I actually stunting something here by getting involved? Yeah. But where, how do you, are there some kind of practical rules of thumb on that and, and age brackets when you can kind of take your eye off the ball a little bit more or whatever <laughs> i had a parent years ago say as long as there's no bleeding or name calling i'm gonna let that go for a while oh my gosh. longer let's let it play we're gonna let and it play you, you can let you can set your own rules around what you feel okay with but i think there again back to paying attention to what's going on with me some of that sometimes a lot of that may be connected to your own journey. I can't tell you often I sit with parents who will say, you know, I had a mom say this to me yesterday, like I didn't grow up with brothers. So this thing going on between them as boys feels messy and out of control and not right to me right. because my sister and I didn't negotiate relationship like that. And I'm right. like, good for you for knowing that because some of it may just be unfamiliar, but not wrong. Yeah. So pay attention to that. If you were an only child, if there was big distance between you and your next sibling, you know, all those ingredients are going to impact the equation. I would say this as, as another rule of thumb to consider. You know, if kids do seem to be really stuck in a pattern of only going at each other, I think it's fine back to the strengths and weaknesses piece to say, okay, guys, you have become Olympic gold medalists at going at each other. A weakness in your relationship is you don't know how to work together. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to work for each other would it so we're going to create some practice opportunity for that going forward that's great i like using the word stuck a lot because it's not a permanent state of being any one of us can get stuck i can get stuck in that's a pattern great. of not exercising and i know that's good for me not drinking enough water and i can get unstuck and sometimes mm -hmm. kids get unstuck on their own sometimes they need help and so we can create a practice context and we talk a lot with parents about creating opportunity for siblings to give back to each other when they're really stuck in a pattern of taking, taking from each other by name calling, taking from each other by, you know, hitting, whatever it may be, and getting really creative in this, you know, so you can have kids give back by, if all your kids have a chore in the kitchen at dinner time, one sets a table, one empties the dishwasher, one takes out the trash, yeah. like, you know what, tonight, because you have been so all about taking from your brother, you're going to give back. So when dinner time comes, you're going to do your job of setting the table and his job of emptying the dishwasher. Yeah. And so creating practices, and you can carry that. You think about all the ways you can carry that forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, tomorrow, since you're still stuck, you can make his bed and then make his sandwich for lunch at school. Mm -hmm. And then when we get home. So there's a lot of ways I think we could carry that forward that, <laughs> you know, let's laugh together. Eventually kids are like, this is the pits. Like I'm done serving him. Like I really am going to figure out another way of being in the world that yeah. can put an end to some of that with kids who do get really stuck. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's But great. going back to that first thought of some of that is just necessary to their social development and learning right. to work through relationship. One more question because you have other people that you're helping besides <laughs> us today. Um, although 
I don't like to think of it that way. Um, I will say two things before I ask you this last question. Um, we would love to have you back. We literally got through half of not even this wasn't even half of the questions, but it was just half of the curated questions. So we would love to as see the first you, and only first. third guest. <laughs> yes. right. I would love to come if back that is as the first. If that's the carrot guest. we have to dangle, then consider it dangling. Um, <laughs> I, I, second thing I was going to say, something I thought that was really interesting. I, I read a book. We had Jeff Bethke on, who who has a great book called Fighting Fighting for Your Family, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one of the things he said that he's seen some families do is one on one dates with the kids in a family, and I think that is an interesting. Great. Now that could be a nightmare. Let me say that clearly. You could put two siblings who are already going to kill each other together and walk into a you know a blood fight. But I think you know I just thought I was like I'd never heard that. I've heard of parent dates with kids where you know where you take right. your son daughter just you and them. But I'd never heard like he said there was a family he knows that does these where they have an hour a week where they're like each sibling spends an hour with each another sibling just an hour but it's a chance for them to kind of spend I thought that was interesting. I also want to say a lot of these questions um, you you guys deal with one either in your own books you've written Daystar has on their site but I think I think of things like John referenced the feelings chart is that on y'all site you can go to raisingboysandgirls.com there you go. and download there you go. one of those so that's one so thing helpful. for anybody that's listening that's super helpful one of the most transforming things that Annie and I did is when you guys came to our church here in Nashville you and Sissy and put on uh, the Raising Girls and Boys, where you talked, and this is, to me, uh, you referenced this numerous times, I think it's one of the most helpful things that I've heard is the developmental seasons of each. You guys did this super, you know, quick but effective, you walked through all the developmental seasons of a boy from, uh, you know, I'm not going to go through it, but, you know, just the ages and what they break into and how you've referenced it numerous times, also for girls that Sissy did, because it's so helpful, and you've referenced it, and I can't tell people enough to go to the site. There's also books on that that you guys have written. Yes. There's there's plenty of stuff and the web and the podcast is amazing. And and so I think Thank a lot you. of people will find what they need even just through listening to those things. So all of that to say go check those things out again, raising Thank girls you. and boys raising boys and girls dot com, right? Yes. And then and then they start y'all site. Um that's wonderful, amazing things. Um, last thing that I would like for you to answer, because you kind of it's a really nice little um denouement. <laughs> Thank you for that, Uh, my English ninth grade teacher. Um, But just sort of a nice end of the conversation is, because I think it has so much to do with what you just said, you referenced it, and so it feels like such a wonderful way to end. Uh, Someone asked, how do you know when you're projecting a problem from your own childhood onto your kids, and how does one work through that? I think that's a really nice sort of button up the conversation because Mm. it's it's sort of something that we can do as parents uh, to work on. Yeah. Pay a lot of attention to what is stirring inside of you. And one indicator like to watch would be, is it possible that I have more emotion about what's happening with my kids than they do? Hmm. Or is my emotion lasting longer than theirs is? Wow. Those are two important indicator lights to watch because that could be- That's stupid. (laughs) Okay, let's wrap up. A a cue to, (laughs) it may be more about me than it is about you. Mm. We. when you were talking about the books on development, my colleagues and friends, Sissy Goff and Melissa Trevathan, wrote a great book on girl development called Raising Girls. And Sissy tells a story of walking into a Starbucks here in Nashville, and out of the corner of her eye, she saw a mom and a teenage daughter sitting at a table crying, both of them. And as she got a little bit closer to purchasing her coffee, she realized it was a mom and daughter she'd worked with. And the mom looked up and saw her. Mm and motioned her over to the table. And when she got there, the mom looked up at Sissy and said, we just broke up with her boyfriend. Mm. <laughs> and Sissy thought in that moment, maybe I'm not doing the best there, job I could there's, <laughs> Yeah, there's really no room for we in that sentence. <laughs> yeah. that it's possible in any moment that we might have more emotion mm. or emotion that lasts longer than our kids do, which right. is important to pay attention to mm. because parenting, as we all three know, is this long, slow journey of... Mm revisiting our story things getting stirred inside of us right and i always want to keep working toward you know what's going on with my kids front and center as opposed to where it may be connected to something going on with me well i think this is the number one thing that i have if i made a top 10 list of things i've learned while doing this podcast it would be that i am projecting nine times out of ten there's some ingredient of of too much of me in this wow. equation. Yes, I, I do it so much, so much. 
and it doesn't mean that that it's a completely binary thing like that i that there is no issue here it just is like my whole lens that i'm looking at it through and the intensity that i feel toward it is a, a lot of times i have realized really informed by just my own stuff yes that's such a, a helpful thing that you said that to notice are you still carrying this emotion around after your kid has you know run off and find that's that's really fascinating. Well, and I tell you what, to encourage anybody that's listening, that that sounds terrifying too, uh, because it's terrifying to me also. I think there is grace for the journey, if you will, around it's okay if there are things that we don't know they get triggered. Yes. I think the uh -huh. work is then going, man, when he came in and said this to me, I just about lost my mind. Like I had an inordinate amount of anger toward my child that I surprised me and scared me. So then if, in a, if we are doing our good work, we then go, I need to think about that. Talk to your spouse. Go, hey, what would this have been? Pray. Think about it. Sit with someone that is a counselor for yourself and go, hey, I just about killed my son the other day when he said this to me. And they go, hey, let's talk about what that means. And then, you know, yes. you, whatever that journey is to get to where you can go, oh my gosh, I have something about shame in my life that when I, hey, I get talked to that way by my kids, it triggers all the alarms. And then we do our own work. That's always work. That's never ending work of going. Never ending. And so I think there is grace for that. I think yes. it doesn't need to be something that we go, oh my gosh, I'm just doing a terrible job. It's going, no, like yeah. part, that's so beautifully said, David. I just love what you said that this is still a journey for us too. Yes. It's still, there's going to be things that ping we have no idea about that are only going to be triggered by our kids and it's okay. It's just yes. then our, our job to then know how to navigate that. So when it happens again, you go, oh my gosh, I know that light. That's the, I didn't make the eighth grade basketball team and I have shame around it. So when he says something about my, me missing a shot at, you know, whatever, I, right. and it's like, oh, that's what that is. And I need yeah. to, you know, so I think there is. They are developing people. We are developing amen. people. Amen. Amen. And amen. there's grace for all of that. Yeah. That's beautiful and wonderful way to end this. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys. I'm so thankful so for what y'all do in the world. Yeah. It yes. was it was an honor to be the first and only returning guest, <laughs> and that I've already been invited to come back in a third season. I just can't you are believe just crushing this. Crushing dad, Bill. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, that makes me giggle.